Webhooks are used in connecting two different online applications. Webhooks allow one program to send data to another as soon as a certain event takes place. And because they are event-driven, webhooks are ideal for things like real-time notifications and data updates. The company HookDeck helps build webhook integrations at scale. In this episode, we talk with Alexander Bouchard, co-founder of HookDeck. This episode is hosted by Sean Falconer. Sean's been an academic founder and Googler. He has published works covering a wide range of topics from information visualization to quantum computing. Currently, Sean is head of developer relations and product marketing at Skyflow and host of the podcast Partiality Redacted, a podcast about privacy and security engineering. Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, it's always great to meet a uh, fellow Canadian, especially one uh, working in the tech space. But let's kick things off with some basics. Who are you? What's your background? And how did you end up where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Alex Bouchard. Um, I kind of started as the prototypical uh, kid that would build video games in their basement. Um, but from the early days, I was always interested in both the product design side of things, writing kind of like game design document that would span probably 60 pages and then uh, also working on the, the the actual game implementation. So early on kind of working in tech, my first few jobs were uh, as a product designer, but I never really lost touch with the technical side of things and eventually doing a lot more of the full stack kind of development work as well. And I think those two tracks kind of uh, consolidate uh, you get together very well to be working on development tools, uh, specifically because I can have a good grasp on the developer experience and the product, but also be very tuned to like the technical challenges that are involved in building, you know, developer infrastructures and such. Yeah, that that's a great background. I mean, I, I feel like video games and someone in your your parents' basement is probably a, a gateway drug for a lot of uh, people who go into engineering and product design. Uh, and, you know, I agree the sort of combination, the unique combination of, um, you know, product design background with technical expertise is a good uh, sort of foundation for building great developer experience and great developer tools, which I think, you know, is at the heart of a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to be talking a lot about webhooks. And, you know, I love topics where to many engineers, you know, it's a familiar topic and maybe it doesn't feel that complicated, but when you kind of start to peel back the layers of the onion, there's a ton of nuance and things you need to kind of think through design for an engineer, especially as you do this at scale. But starting at the beginning, what is a webhook and where does this concept come from? For sure. So um, webhooks are very deceivably simple, actually. And it's a, it's a problem that we kind of deal with on a day-to-day -day basis because there's kind of two types of education that really needs to happen, both on the side of like, what are the fundamentals of what a webhook is? But then afterwards, like, what are all the caveats and the problems you're going to run into working with them, right? Uh, but to, to take it from the top, like webhooks are essentially notifications between servers of different owners. 
Um, and they manifest themselves as HTTP POST requests, or at least that's kind of like the, uh, the general way that it's implemented. Um, I stand away from, I, I shy away from saying standard because it really isn't. And I thought it would be a lot more uh, uniformly implemented across all the providers before I started working on IGDAC, but it turns out everyone has uh, the little flavor on how they're gonna do the implementation, deal with security issues and so on. But ultimately like webhooks are very useful nowadays to subscribe to notifications or um, events that happen in other systems that you integrate with. So like the classical examples are going to be uh, Stripe, Shopify, um, Intercom, like all the big e-commerce, SaaS companies and so on. And generally like as a technical team, as product builders, we want to know when things happen in those systems so that our own can react to them, right? So whenever there's, for instance, a order that's created in Shopify, so a new order, you might want your servers to store a copy of that index, index it to an Elasticsearch for further usage, or you might be sending emails to customers and so on. Um, and as you kind of look at our web development and application development is uh, going the last couple of years, we're moving toward models that are a lot more asynchronous that are built on webhooks rather than on synchronous pull APIs. So historically, like the way this would work is that um, you would build some background job that would periodically pull on the APIs that you want to get the data, the data out. So for instance, you'd go out to Shopify and ask them like, is there a new order? Is there a new order? And you do so every you know minute or so and try to reconcile that data afterwards. Um, so with Webhooks, like what you get is a a lot more sanity in how you build your applications because you can build on the event stream instead of batch operations, and also you get much better latency and real timeness in your applications. So if you need to take action really quickly when something changes, uh, then you have access to that data. So more and more like providers are kind of moving to that as like the go-to way of getting data out of their system and reacting to it. Um, and, and that's why it's become, becoming so ubiquitous now to be building on uh, with webhooks. Yeah, I, I think, you know, in general, engineers really like working with webhooks. I think it's a combination of the features that you talked about, like they're asynchronous, it's event-based, you're reacting to uh, data as it happens in real time. And I can remember you know, early in my engineering career, having to do a lot of that, like polling services, writing cron jobs that are running in the background to basically get those sort of status updates and webhooks just kind of simplify that thing. And even when I was working at Google, I worked on several API products there and we were constantly getting community feedback asking for more fine-grained webhook support. And initially we actually launched the API, some of our APIs without webhooks and you had to pull the API to get status. It was not a great experience for people. But one of the you know, challenges with using webhooks is you know, testing locally. So people turn to applications like ngrok, but what are some of the problems engineering teams run into when using ngrok or similar systems for local testing? Yeah, for sure. And just to bounce back on what you were saying, I think like uh, Webhooks is a great example of levate relationship because in some moments it feels like magic and you're really a big enabler to build the things that you want to be building. And some other moments it's going to feel like the biggest <laughs> 
pain that you could uh, you could be dealing with, right? I, I remember like one anecdote, like my very first time that I took down a production application at my very first employer was because I triggered uh, some some batch operation on a system we were integrating with and sent something like five million webhooks in the span of like a minute or two uh, that all ended up going through to our API and just taking it down, right? So so those creation also exists, and that's why you kind of have to be careful. But yeah, so I mean, I guess application development is really, really where it starts, right? So like um, you start by building some code locally and then wanting to test that out against like the webhooks you're integrating with. And generally speaking, like this is gonna start at the provider's API documentation, right? So you're gonna look at sample payloads of what they're gonna be sending and kind of building your applications in regards to that. But when it comes to actually be um, testing that workflow, um, Developers like generally now will turn to a tool like Angrock or like a tunnel um, solution where essentially when the requirement for a webhook is to have a publicly accessible HTTP URL that the provider can call and actually send a webhook to, right? So they have no direct connection to your local server. Um, and tools like Angrock, what they allow you to do is open a tunnel where you would essentially, uh, essentially do a like bi-directional proxy in between your local server and the application calling uh, that HTTP URL. So those tools will give you like a URL that you can then like to keep with the Shopify example, give to Shopify, and then they will send or invoke that request on your local server to whatever the port you, you wanted to, to send it to. Now you run into a couple of problems and the problems that you run into is because all of those tool assume that the request that you get is a synchronous HTTP request. And the problem with webhooks is that they're generally like asynchronous tools. So what I mean by that is like the response that you return to this to, to the sender to like Shopify doesn't really matter. Uh, you can return anything that is either like the only thing that's gonna matter is the HTTP status. So if it's HTTP 200, uh, the 200 range then is going to be considered successful or it's similar to acknowledging the request for the message bus message queue folks. And then a 400 and up is going to be essentially a knocking of the request or, or, or basically uh, failing that request so that it's retried later. Um, and the things that get interesting is like one of the problem you run into is as a team, you all need to be working with webhooks at the same time. And when you open a tunnel, a single person can be connected at the tunnel at any given point in time because it's bi-directional and you need a one-to-one -one relationship between the request that's coming in and the response that's, that's coming back. Um, but the reality of it is like as teams are, you know, big teams established are building a ton of webhooks, there's a bunch of developers at the same time that are trying to test their Shopify code changes or uh, integrations with different webhooks and so on. And now you see that teams like start essentially asking themselves like, hey, who's using this URL and who's using this URL and or rotating the URLs very frequently or setting up multiple of them. Um, so there's like coordination that needs to happen around that. Then the second thing is, um, unless you're paying for tools, you're not getting permanent URLs. So I'm sure everyone listening to this is fairly familiar to uh, starting Ngrok, not be paying for it, going in their Stripe account or their Shopify account, whatever, updating their URL, and then the next time forgetting about it, wondering where their webhooks are going, and kind of like this dance that you end up doing. Um, and the third thing that we see a lot is you webhooks are very generic in the sense that you're going to get like a order created webhook. And now that's all good. But the thing is, your code might be doing things differently based on what's in the order. 
right? So there's no like prototypical way of saying this specific request is going to trigger this code path and this is what I want to test against versus this other order has different items in it and therefore um, needs to go through a different code path and I, I want, that, uh, want that to be tested differently than the original one. So you end up going in, like to keep going with my Shopify example, you keep going in it and then creating an order with the specific products in it and then making sure that you trigger the webhook under the right conditions. And it's very hard between teams to say like, listen, like here's the representation of all the different webhooks that we can receive and the different use uh, edge cases that they're gonna cover and the different copaths they're gonna cover and then test against that. So there's really no kind of established way of doing this. And I think those cover like the biggest problem people run into working with webhooks locally. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things that you touched on there. There's this, you know, sort of dance that has to happen, this coordination that's happening between the teams to, to figure out, you know, who's essentially consuming the API at a given time. So what are some of the workarounds that people have to do in order to, uh, you know, essentially test webhooks for their APIs while working on a team that is, you know, there's multiple engineers kind of all working on the same thing at the same time? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, there's really kind of two solutions here. So like the one solution is to be doing that dense and just kind of deal with it. Right. So um, and that's what we see most people doing nowadays. Um, and then the other alternative is to um, kind of go a little bit more above and beyond and write proper integration tests with stubs and mocks of like the different webhook data that you're gonna get and actually be developing against those. Obviously the problem that you run into with those is that if it changes over time, if Shopify starts sending a different payload, for instance, um, then you don't necessarily have that feedback or that way of testing it like kind of explicitly. But this is really like the two things that we see people do the most. And obviously with UGDAC, we're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but we're, we're trying to introduce some new concepts to um, to basically alleviate some of the dancing that you have to do, or uh, I dare to say, almost completely remove it. <laughs> yeah, I imagine with the mocks, you know, that is a a reasonable solution in some ways, but then it, over time, it's going to become a bit of a maintenance nightmare because you're essentially creating almost like a local a stubbed out version of the APIs that you're consuming. And as you consume more and more APIs, like just the scale of maintaining that's going to become like a full-time job. Yeah, for sure. And there's, uh, there's things that make it pretty hard to work with static uh, mocks in the case of webhooks. Uh, one of the main reasons is when you're dealing with webhooks, you're building for independency. So you're building uh, in ways where the same request is going to produce the same result. But if yesterday you were working on your code base, you tested with that request, and then the next day you test it again, and then you've in, in the, uh, implemented your independency correctly, then that second request is maybe not even going to get processed. So there's some things that you want to actually change in between all the requests, because if it is purely static, you probably already have systems to be able to to deal with that and not process it twice and so on. So there's there's some kind of like replacement in those stubs that you need to do to actually be successful with that strategy. So uh, yeah, but I I mean you you definitely got it right. Yeah. So beyond sort of the operational complexity that teams have with you know working with and debugging uh, webhooks locally, you know. What about from like an infrastructure standpoint? You know, I imagine if someone has like a fairly simple infrastructure and they're consuming maybe one primary API, then configuration and debugging with webhooks, even with some friction, is maybe not that big a deal. But as things uh, 
you know, teams get bigger and you're doing this at scale with like a fairly big, uh, complex uh, cloud infrastructure, what are some of the problems that teams kind of run into using webhooks at that scale? Yeah, for sure. I mean, ultimately, like that's when it gets hard um, because what you end up building is a highly available, highly concurrent system to be able to re to receive those webhooks. And ultimately, like there's kind of two fundamental challenges with the webhooks. The first one is you're kind of like at the mercy of the provider. And generally speaking, the provider is also going to be much bigger than you, right? So we're talking about Shopify, their capacity at sending webhook tends to be much higher than your capacity at receiving webhooks. Um, and you don't get to control at what, way those, at what rate those webhook are gonna come in. So we can actually see that through historical data, even on that kind of platform usage, where every once in a while, uh, Shopify is gonna stop sending webhooks altogether for half an hour. And then their workers are gonna come back online and basically try to work through that last half hour as fast as possible. And you can see like huge spikes in the traffic of webhooks. Sometimes it's also just driven by your usage of those platforms, right? You do like some kind of bulk upload, for instance, in a email marketing, tool. Now you get a webhook for each new contact that you've added in that tool. And uh, if that book upload was a uh, double upload was for, you know, 5 million records, that means you're also getting 5 million requests, right? Um, so that is one of the one, uh, one thing that causes a lot of the challenges. And then the second thing is that um, the each provider has their own guarantees and quirks around their implementation. So they're going to have different um, rules around how retries work, how alerting work, um, and those kind of parameters that define how you should be treating that transaction or like what kind of guarantees you can expect from it. Um, so the problem that you run into is first in terms of ingestion reliability. So since you can get any amount of webhook uh, for all intent purposes and you have very strong boundaries around what you can do with those requests. So for instance, um, a lot of providers will have a aggressive timeout policy where you might have only like three seconds to respond to that request, right? Um, and the fact that those are coming this way means you also cannot really process them synchronously. So for most use cases, it's not realistic to do so. And you need to introduce a whole event-driven architecture behind this to actually be able to A, respond quickly, but also respond in a way that's resilient and reliable. Because if you're unable to respond to that request, then you might be out of luck. It depends on the provider what the retry logic is going to be. Uh, but more often than not, you're either stuck waiting a while before you get that request again, or you're never gonna get it again, right? Um, so as you go through and implementing this uh, event-driven architecture, you run into kind of all the challenges or classic of working with those those kind of async event driven architecture so um, you run into challenges around how you recover from issues how do you reconcile the data if you end up missing some of the webhooks um, how do you deal with your dead letter queues when you have errors or bugs that you introduce um, how do you deal with migrations and plan downtime? That's another big issue since if you're going to be planning a downtime for 30 minutes, that means you're also, you won't be able to tell Shopify, hey, listen, stop sending me webhooks. Uh, so unfortunately, that's not something you get to say. So if you're going to go down, then you need to think about how that uh, reconciliation is going to happen after your servers are back up and so on. The last thing is that there's very little traceability. So it's kind of hard to tell actually what happened with a specific webhook. And often what we end up seeing is that 
that um, some issue is going to bubble up from like customer support telling you like, hey, listen, like this order didn't get fulfilled or this product inventory is wrong or this invoice didn't get processed and so on. Um, and it's hard to tell exactly what's coming from. And the missing webhook is kind of like feeling like a black box a lot because it's hard to tell whether or not you've actually missed a webhook and if you uh, took all the actions that you were supposed to take on it. So when you combine all those things together, there's multiple point of failures, right? There's the kind of like the intentional one, like the the planned downtime, the migrations. There's the unintentional one, like uh your server's not being able to handle the sheer amount of concurrency that you're getting or not being able to respond fast enough. And then there's all the challenges that occur from just uh, processing those asynchronously and the problems that you are accustomed to that are in regards to the message queuing um, in the asynchronous processing and so on. Yeah, I think one of the things that you touched on there that I really hadn't really thought of before was because there's not really like standards around um, you know, how different uh, uh, for, for Webhook in terms of, you know, what is the standard for retries? What is the standard for timeouts? You're going to have a lot of variance uh, depend if you're consuming a variety of different APIs and you need to be able to essentially build sort of that custom business logic on a per API basis, which if you're consuming a lot of APIs just becomes sort of like a big challenge to to navigate and make sure that you're your um, your infrastructure is uh, flexible enough to do that and responsive enough. You know, I think one of the challenges we ran into on some of the products I worked on at Google is that some of the people that were integrating our APIs, they were not um, uh, you know engineering teams essentially that were used to doing more event driven asynchronous type of development. So it was a bit of a challenge for them. They needed to sort of educate themselves and uh, uh, build in some of this. You know essentially message queuing and stuff like that so that they can be responsive uh, responsive enough because obviously like Google is going to be able to, as you mentioned with Shopify example, deliver a lot more traffic to your webhook and scale that probably uh, beyond what your existing infrastructure is, is maybe capable of today. I mean, that's exactly right. So can you talk a little bit about... Okay. Uh, yeah, just to bounce back on Go that, ahead, actually, because you, you, you touch upon something that's very important here, um, because it's something that like we didn't really know going into it and like before spending so so much time working on webhooks. But like webhooks are kind of like a gateway drug to the asynchronous event driven architecture workflow. And what we see for most people that are adopting webhooks, it's also their first time building upon like message queues and consumers and producers and all that stuff. So they're, they're having to learn both the webhook semantics and the message queuing semantics at the same time. And that does create a lot of uh, challenges for them. So yeah, the, the way you put it is like what I see in the day to day as well. Um, and I think that webhook adoption is also a big driver for message queue adoptions as a whole, uh, or at least it's one of the very big use case for it. Um, so yeah, you've, you're right on. Yeah, it's like you, you start with webhooks and then you, uh, you like, Two months, you know, a couple a couple months later, you're 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 uh, integrating Kafka and uh, you're or Confluent or something like that, and suddenly you're you're writing your rewriting everything as a event driven architecture. So I think that's a good kind of place to to you know jump off to start to talk about. Uh, sorry, uh, so I think that's a good place to kind of jump off to start to talk about your company Hookdeck. What is Hookdeck, and why did you start that company? 
Yeah, I mean, like, so I started that company pretty much for the reason that you described earlier. Uh, so I'm myself kind of like a good example of where we're talking about, like kind of getting to message queues because of webhooks and so on. And I used to run technology for a large e-commerce company uh, back in Montreal. And um, we were integrating with Stripe and Shopify, Intercom and a bunch of different services. And the reality of it is, is that, you know, like, I was at that time building a women fashion business, trying to sell oisery and nylon. And like the thing that wasn't at the top of their priority list was to like go out there and spend months building web congestion infrastructure. Right. So, uh, there was just more important fish for us to fry. And what we ended up with is a bunch of issues that were kind of bubbling up from customer support. So things that would go wrong with the e-commerce website or the operations or, uh, the, the invoicing for the subscription and so on. Um, and it was kind of shocking to me at that time that there wasn't really a way for me to solve this issue that didn't involve like going out there and trying to like figure out this whole workflow that we were just talking about. Um, so exec really kind of came about as a way to take matter into your own end and basically be able to abstract that complexity and the issues that we've been talking for since the, the top of this conversation um, and offer offer that as like a, a, a full service that's going to be provider agnostic. And that's something that's really important here because like um, ultimately for something like that to be valuable, you shouldn't need to have the buy-in from Shopify because the reality of it is like if you're integrating with those big flat platforms, like they're not, they're not really going to pay attention to you all that much, right? <laughs> you're at the mercy like I was talking about earlier. Um, and we really wanted to build a product where um, we would play nice with however Webex were implemented from all those different providers, but also abstract that away so that you get to choose or you get to dictate the rules of how your Webex are going to work. Practically speaking, what that means is that UGDEC is like a full-on webhook infrastructure to be able to support all the challenges that we discuss. So we offer really high, um, uh, sorry, very low latency, high uptime ingestion um, for all providers. Um, we offer the built-in logging and observability to be able to tell what's going on with your webhooks, be able to inspect all the historical requests that you've received and be able to dig into the issues. Then we also let you control what the alerting and the recovery policies should be. So what is the retry logic and what is the retry logic for this use case versus this other use case? You can introduce other behavioral changes like um, apply a delay or transform the request or filter the request. Um, and the, the last two parts that are kind of like important pillars of the product is also the management um, and the local development. So on the imagine, management front, what we realize is that once you start integrating with multiple providers, you now run into concerns about like, what are all my endpoints? Where am I going, coming from and going to? How do I communicate that with my new employees that are joining the team, um, with my new, uh, my new engineers that want to expand upon that? And then lastly, how do I get all those folks to be productive adding new use cases on top of webhooks. So um, the last element is we offer local uh, development and testing for your webhooks where we address a lot of the problems we were uh, talking at the start of the show um, about local host development and um, uh, bi-directional connections and letting you basically create isolated environments for all your team members where they can receive essentially like a copy of their webhooks. Obviously that's a lot, <laughs> but our goal is really to cover the full workflow. So from the time that you get started working with webhooks, so that goes from the education, the development to going to production. 
Yeah, can you, 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 you know, you touched on in the last part there about the local development and testing, which is something that we were talking about earlier. So can you, you kind of walk me through that? How is doing local development and testing with hook deck different than if I was to do that, you know, sort of using conventional um, tools like Ngrok? Yeah, so um, there's kind of three main uh, selling point, I would say, three main reasons why a deck is relevant in that use case. Um, so the first one is just a matter of, of reducing friction. So when you start with Ngrok, the first thing you're going to realize is that the webhooks, the webhook URL that you get are, uh, uh, are not permanent, right? So you're going to have to essentially generate a new URL and like go in the platform, update those URLs and so on. That's like the dance we were talking about a little bit, a little bit earlier. So the first thing in a deck, all the webhooks, uh, all the webhook URL are always permanent, even on the free like guest account, like meaning you don't even need to sign up or anything. Um, and our mission there is really to just like reduce the friction as much as possible to be able to be successful. The second thing is we made one big trade-off and that trade-off is to say like, listen, a deck is going to be purely dedicated to asynchronous uh, requests and we won't be doing those bi-directional requests. The thing that's really, uh, and there's a big reason why we did that. The big reason is because once you don't have this one-to-one -one relationship, you can now start doing a lot of things with those webhooks. For instance, if you have two team members are working on the same webhook at the same time, instead of having to coordinate over like who's gonna be receiving the webhook, who's connecting to the tunnel, all of the team members can connect at the same time on their own clients, on their own CLI. And Ugdeck can identify those and send a replica or a basically a copy of the webhook to all the different clients. And we can track what those requests look like on a per client basis. So you can then test your own endpoints. If you need to debug that with your colleague, you can then send a response that your server got, for instance, to your colleague, and they will have their own kind of isolated copy of the events that they receive on their own client. Right, and we let you do um, things a little bit more granular than that, where you can say like, okay, I only want to receive a subset of the webhooks. I only want to receive like the order uh, created webhooks from Shopify while my colleague is receiving like the product updated and so on. And what that lets you do is actually collaborate together and work as a team independently on those webhooks, and then kind of come together when it comes time to like fixing a specific problem or solving a specific issue. Um, and then the last part is we let you build what we call a bookmark collection. So you can think of that very similar to, similarly to how you would build like a Postman collection, but instead for your webhooks. So you can create references of historical webhooks that you've received either in production or in development that you want to be able to automatically test against or replay against your development environment afterwards. And you can document those so that when a new teammate joins, you can see like the whole collection of what are the historical webhooks that we've received that are representative of different code paths in our code base, um, and then also document what they are, what they represent, and let them try to like just spin up their CLI and try it on for themselves. Um, the experience is very similar to what you would get from Ngrok when you get started. So you basically install your, your CLI. It's available for uh, macOS, Windows, Linux, Docker, um, and uh, the code is also open source on GitHub. So go f go find it out there. Um, and you basically just download the CLI and you spin up a new URL. And as soon as you do that, it will grant, will give you a webhook URL that you can start using, but you'll get the benefit that I was just kind of talking about. So the experience shouldn't feel, feel very disruptive from what you're already used to, but you're making the trade-off of asynchronousity, uh, sorry, of synchronousity for asynchronousity, and you're getting the benefits that I was kind of 
telling you about, which we see as a much better fit for working with WebHook specifically. And I don't want this to be interpreted as like, um, Ngrok being a bad tool or anything of that sort. Like I still use Ngrok on a day-to-day -day basis, but I use it for synchronous workflows, for asynchronous workflows, and I'll uh, now turn to the Yugdex CLI. So you mentioned this idea that you can essentially like make copies of events that are coming in and then send those to independent engineers that are working on it. So if you and I were working together and you know, we were testing independently, can I get essentially the data, the events that, you know, my user as part of the test is generating sent only to my, um, uh, essentially where I'm listening to the, to the, the results of the webhook and you only get yours or are, would we essentially get a mix of both? Um, so by default, it's a mix of both. If you don't tell a deck specifically, which one you're interested in, but you can configure in deck in such a way where you can get more granular. And so like I, Sean, want to get those specific webhooks. So it's something that like, it's not something that uh, you get right out of the box when you just spin it up. But if you dig a little bit into the configuration, something that you can definitely uh, put together. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, you know, it sounds like from an integration standpoint, it's, it's, it's fairly straightforward, you know, similar to what you might be doing today with Ngrok, but what is like the migration process like for those that are maybe doing something different today and they want to essentially move their existing webhook sources over to uh, HookTech? Yeah, so um, generally speaking, like the migration process we're going to run into is more going to be around uh, production use cases, right? Just to clarify, kind of switching gears. Um, but essentially, like the like deck was designed to be extremely transparent. And what I mean by that is, you can incrementally adopt more and more features, but right off the box, it should essentially work just like it used to work before using a deck with the additional uh, kind of benefits and guarantees and reliability that you, that you get. Um, so specifically, we have a couple of goals that we regularly kind of like totally test against and so on, where essentially we don't alter the payload of the request. So that means if the request came into like a, with a specific format, specific like white spaces and quirks and so on, we're not going to alter that. And the specific reason why we're uh, very careful with this is because we don't want to break uh, signatures and ashing that's always uh, that's already been done for security reasons. So what that means is that Deck ultimately acts as a proxy where you can um, switch your webhook URL. So you create a connection in Deck, you tell Deck where your webhook are going coming from, where they're going, and where they're going is already uh, is the HTTP endpoint that you're already using as your webhook URL, and then Deck is going to provide you with a new HTTP URL. And that URL, you just need to go update in your provider. So really, those are the only two steps to actually migrate. And then from that point on, you'll probably want to start adopting more and more features, right? So you might want to start configuring the filtering, your retry policy, your alert policy. Um, and then eventually, you might also want to start rethinking about using the queues on your own server because UGDEC itself is going to behave as your queue. Um, but all of those things can be done incrementally, and it doesn't need to be done from the start. So when what we see more often 
in terms of migration is someone is going to take one specific endpoint that they have, one use case that's either problematic or one that they uh, don't worry about too much, depending on how much, uh, how much they trust the deck from the get-go. Um, and they'll swap out this one URL without really doing anything else than just changing the URL, right? And then they'll let it sit for a couple of days, see how it goes, see what the reliability of a deck is, get the benefit of all the observability, the visibility, the retries, the, uh, the reliable ingestion, and so on. And then afterwards, they'll start verifying the request in a deck, um, implementing a deck verification, adding filters, and start optimizing things more and more, right? So, um, and then eventually you're kind of like the goal is that you end up seeing enough value in it that, that like, uh, before you know it, kind of all your endpoints are now uh, going through a deck, right? Um, so the migration process is very straightforward and that was because it was designed from the start to be very, uh, very unobtrusive. And uh, yeah, ultimately that's done by just using the HTTP protocol to function. Um, so that's kind of like the beauty of it. And then when I'm using or receiving, say, like a webhook event from Hookdeck, is Hookdeck providing some handling of the asynchronous na nature of the event, or do I need to essentially use something like, I don't know, PubSub or some sort of, you know, message brokering service on my end where I'm receiving the event to make sure that uh, my um, webhook endpoint is essentially responsive to the, the API that's sending the event data? Yeah. Um, so, so there's actually a funny story in there, uh, because in the very first version of Deck, when we were just getting started, um, you would have to keep doing kind of your own queuing, right? So you would have to, uh, to, you know, get started with PubSub, SQS, RabbitMQ, like whatever you're using as a queuing strategy, uh, a message bus. And frankly, like at that time, like it just really wasn't resonating that much with people. <laughs> and, uh, that's like the big thing that we discovered about three years ago, um, that, if we wanted a deck to be a valuable product, we kind of needed to be able to help with the full webhook infrastructure, right? Um, so from that point on, a deck essentially became a queue. And that was like the big feature that we kind of did as we really started hitting the ground running. Um, so nowadays, like a deck is a full-blown queue where you can process all your asynchronicity through it. The reality of it is, though, is that we still have like a lot of improvements to do there and it's working for a lot of folks. But if you run into like uh, very stringent requirements around how you handle your queuing or you have uh, particular challenges around it, then maybe, uh, maybe deck is not going to be uh, kind of featureful enough on the queuing department just yet, but that's something we're working on on like a daily basis. So the way ultimately this works right now is that you can configure what the rate limit and the capacity of your servers are, and Ugdeck will essentially respect that. So if you're doing, for instance, a bulk retry after a big outage in Ugdeck of 5 million rows, you can tell Ugdeck, like, listen, don't send them all at once, right? Send those 5 million at a pace of... 50 requests a, sec a second or something along along that line, right? And what we do is we dynamically provision queues for all of the different endpoints, um, and uh, we move essentially like the events in those queues so that they get delivered based on the based on how you want those to behave. So if you're pausing or if you're replaying, if you're bulk retrying, uh, or it's just like the standard traffic that's coming in, um, we basically dynamically kind of manage those queues. Now, um, over time, we're gonna get a little bit fancier around how queuing works and different, more flexible ways of being able to essentially pull, um, where I get records out of the queue. Uh, but as of right now, like we still have most of our users that are using it as kind of like their 
independent like message bus. And then we, we do have a, a handful of folks that, that decide to still render pubs of instance, but definitely something we're going after in the long run. <laughs> yeah, I imagine it simplifies a lot of things for the person that's, you know, receiving those events. They, have to, they don't have to you know, kind of deal with all the, the nuance and ins and outs of building out that, uh, you know, messaging queuing system. Yeah, and in many ways, if you're responding directly to EGDEC, um, that gives EGDEC a lot more opportunity to be helpful as well. Because if we know whether or not that job actually got processed based on the response code that you returned, then we can give you more insight into like what was what was actually processed, what do you need to retry, and so on. Um, the more information we have, ultimately, like the more useful the product is. So we do recommend folks to not implement their their own kind of message queue unless it's either already implemented and they're kind of running a POC or. Whatever, or uh, if they have like very particular use cases that 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 run into the edge cases that are not uh, working just as well yet uh, with the deck message queue, right? Right, makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about how you know the webhook security works in on Hookdeck? Obviously, if you have a, a webhook, you don't want just any traffic going to it. You want to make sure that the traffic that's going to it is like legitimate traffic. So you can talk about some of the controls that you have in place that guarantee that you know the traffic or events that I'm processing are actually legitimate? Yeah. So essentially the way this works is very similar to what you're currently used to. And that's part of like the incremental adoption that I was talking about. So because we don't alter the payload or the headers of the request that comes in, that means the original signatures that you're getting. So either the API keys or um, hopefully like a SHA-256 signature um, in the header of the request, those are still valid and verifiable. So whatever code you already have in place to make sure that the, the webhook is coming from Stripe or Shopify is still going to work after using a deck. Now, um, there's incremental security that you can add to that. And in some cases, uh, those can be very beneficial, especially if you're receiving webhooks through many providers or if you want to do uh, more kind of like power user, uh, use more of the power user features of EGDEC. So the first thing that we offer is to essentially let you verify the signature at the EGDEC at the ingestion. So that means when we receive the webhook, we'll verify that signature for you. And then when we send it to your server, we'll re-sign it with a EGDEC signature. So now if you receive webhooks from you know, 20 different providers, what that means is that you can uniformly verify that in EGDEC with our own implementation of the, verifica uh, the verification logic. And then on your application, you can then only verify the EGDEC signature. So that means you don't, you don't need to implement the verification schemas for all the different um, implementations that exist out there. You can only rely on the EGDEC signature. Now, that's also very relevant if you're doing things like transformations, because obviously if you're going to transform the body of the payload and post-process it into something else, uh, inevitably that's going to break the signature. So if you verify it in EGDEC before you transform it, and then afterwards you send it to your server and verify the EGDEC signature, we can maintain the integrity throughout the chain. There's a couple of things that we can do as well. Um, that become very interesting. So for instance, we offer static IPs. So that means if your provider is sending you webhooks from any IPs and you want to be able to whitelist the IPs that are able to call your, your API, um, if you proxy those requests through EGDEC, we'll accept those and then we'll forward them with a static IP um, so that you can actually whitelist those IPs. Um, the last thing to consider that I think is interesting too is like if someone is sending you, you know, forge requests or they're trying to, uh, to make you take action on webhooks that are not legitimate, 
historically you would still have to process those webhooks. You would still have to put those into your message queue. You would still have to like figure out that they are, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're nefarious. Um, with UGDAC, the thing that's great is that we're going to filter all those out and the one that you end up receiving on your server are only the, the legitimate one. So you don't incur the overhead of having to deal with those, queue them, process them and all, all that stuff. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I think even the va the value add of the like hook deck signature really simplifies a lot of the um, type of work that you need to do to secure your endpoints. If you're consuming a variety of different APIs, you just now you essentially have uh, you know one way of doing that where hook is sort of acting as a proxy to all these other uh, APIs and, and managing the security around those endpoints for you. I was just going to say, uh, we're also trying to be mindful of like, what is the simplest implementation for folks, right? So we're not trying to like get super fancy with our signatures and um, add a bunch of unnecessary kind of like security theater stuff. We're trying to be very pragmatic about the things that actually matter, that actually make it secure and make that as easy to implement as possible so that we don't make you jump a bunch of oops to be able to use the exact signature in the first place, right? So uh, we're trying to like be the closest possible to, to, kind of like the standard implementations that we're seeing out there um, and make it as straightforward as possible. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, from an engineering perspective, what is one of the most difficult engineering challenges that you've had to solve while building the hook tech infrastructure today? Yeah, so ultimately, like, a deck is a very complex, like, state machine that's performing concurrent state transitions on million of millions of records. Um, so the thing that becomes like very interesting is that when you're doing state transitions on, you know, 5 million, 10 million records, you never really have like a complete set of the data that you're going to be transitioning. And during that time, the data that falls into that, uh, sorry, other data can, or other events can enter that set and leave that set, right? So we had to like build um, complex, essentially batching operations that can identify the records that still match a specific state transition kind of instruction. So for instance, if you're saying, if you're telling a deck, like, please bulk retry those 5 million events. In those 5 million events, by the time that we get through all of them, they might have been paused. They might have already been retried manually by someone else in your team. They might have been um, already delivered and uh, failed in the process. And all of those records are kind of changing in real time. And we need to like be able to figure out what still needs to be transitioned to what state at what given point in time. And also be able to tell the progress of that. Because if you're doing that bulk retrying on five or 10 million records, you want to be able to know when that when that bulk retry is already has been completed, right? You don't want to just like sit out there and like wish for the best that that it's already actually been processed by Egg Deck. So we want to be able to tell you like, listen, this is now at fifty five percent progress. There's this amount of events that have been processed. Like here's the list of all the events that were impacted by this bulk retry, the status of them, the um, historical result that we got from your server, what the latency look like, all that kind of stuff. And we want to be able to do it in a way where um, we can essentially kind of guarantee the eventual integrity of that so that at the end of the day, you know that you've taken action of all the, on all the, the webhooks or all the events um, that are within the system. 
So I would say this is like one of the ongoing challenges that we deal with all the time, especially as we're trying to add more complexity to it, right? So people are coming to us asking for batch deliveries, for uh, ordering, for all sorts of concerns like this. And um, reconciling kind of like the product use cases and the, 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 the product demands with what are technically, what's kind of like technically doable and, and, and uh, implementable kind of through the state machine has really been one of the, the biggest challenges. And ultimately like we're using a bunch, like Ugdeck is kind of like uh, pitched as being a single queue, but ultimately like really we're kind of hiding multiple dynamic queues kind of behind the hood and our uh, bread and butter is doing the orchestration between what event should be moving to what queue at one time, essentially, um, and being keeping track of what event is where at <laughs> at any given point in time. So I think like the collection of kind of like the state management has really been uh, the most complex things that we've been working on. But also working through it makes us realize how valuable it is. Uh, so so in a way, I kind of appreciate the fact that there's complexity there. So otherwise, I'm not too sure we'd be solving a big problem. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can deliver a product that's very simple for people to use and is high value, a lot of times there's, you know, a lot of complexity and, and um, you know, thought that goes into delivering something that feels simple. Yeah. And like back in my days at this e-commerce company, uh, I remember we had this like big outage one time and uh, we had, I want to say like, 2,500 uh, webbooks from like Shopify that I didn't go through. And Shopify, did, uh, Shopify didn't be any way of like bulk retrying those requests. And I, at first I thought like, like it seems so simple. Like why won't you, why won't you let me like just retry them all, right? And then after you start building that stuff, you realize why nobody, nobody offers it <laughs> and all the technical complexity that's involved in actually making a proper bulk retry that can scale to tens of millions of record work correctly. Um, and that's kind of like the, challenge that we're trying to tackle ends on now, but like you, you, you can definitely see, uh, why nobody else is, has really kind of built that into their web offering yet. Yeah. And you know, in some ways I feel like, you know, using hook deck versus rolling your own webhook, you know, infrastructure, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, back when everyone used to build authentication and then products like auth zero and, and others came along but it took some time for the sort of the market to recognize you shouldn't be spending your time building, in this case, you know, authentication yourself and instead deploy your engineering resources somewhere else. So have you faced sort of an educational market challenge in terms of, you know, teaching the market that, hey, they shouldn't be doing all the things that they're doing today when it comes to sort of management of webhooks. And instead, there is like a better solution out there. Yeah. So, um, that, that's a, that's a challenge that we have like on the, on the daily because, it is deceivably simple. Like at the end of the day, like all you need is HTTP post endpoint, right? And you're sending that request through HTTP post. Everybody's kind of familiar with that. Um, and I think there's kind of like two ways to answer this. So like the first part is, I think it's important for us to like actually find out about us when there's actually a, a problem that occurs or they run into some incident or event that makes them reconsider like their current their current implementation. And we see that all the time with all the, the, the startups and the, the, the companies that we talk to, there's going to be inflection points where, you know, just like Black Friday is a great example of that, right? Just, just the other day, a bunch of people started knocking at our door because the servers were getting pummeled with, with webhooks um, and they needed help with this. So there's going to be inflection points like that where 
I think our role or responsibility is to point those out, say that like you're not the only one dealing with this and tell you about the solutions. And I'm a big believer in education in the sense that like the solution can't always be like that because the reality is like people have been building that stuff for the last 10 years, right? Like you can do it yourself, but it's probably not worthwhile and you're going to run into a bunch of challenges and you're going to have to do it over and over again. Um, but still like those solutions exist and people have implemented them in the past. And I think our role is both to say like, here's how it's done and document those. And we have a very large collection of uh, public articles that you can go and read and, and learn about. And in none of those, you're going to see a deck mentioned even once, right? Because the role of this is to educate you on the the inflection points that you're going to hit, or if you're in that inflection point, what you can do about it. And then the alternative is to say like, listen, if you don't want to go out and build this yourself, like then a deck exists and go check the requirements and go check the documentation. If, if that fits your, uh, fits your need. And if it does, then, then, you know, this is now an alternative that didn't used to exist to be able to solve that problem. Cause that's the other thing too, like in the current market, it's either build it yourself or use a deck. There's really no, um, established kind of alternative. So what that means is like the buy option just doesn't, didn't really exist. Kind of like exactly how authentication started. So I think or, or it's really important for us to, um, uh, to respect the fact that people will still want to try to go out and build this and make them do their own learnings. And if they find it too challenging or not worthwhile their time, which kind of bet they're going to figure out at one point or another, um, then then they, they can give a deck a shot, right? So that's one segment. The other segment is people that are really just getting started. And then for us, it's building um, understandings and guides that are more geared toward like people that are learning what webhooks are, how to get started at the first time. And for those folks, it's really important to get them started using the right best practices, the right understanding. So we focus a lot on communicating what independency is, what it means to be building for independency, what it means to be building for a uh, event stream that is not necessarily in order, because that's another challenge you're going to run into with, with, with webhooks, right? So we're really trying to, we're really pushing, we're really trying to educate folks on both those aspects when you run into those, those triggering events and when you're just getting started. Yeah, that's always the challenge with a, you know, category creating product is that there aren't necessarily people looking for the solution because they don't know that the solution exists uh, and they've been used to kind of building it themselves. You know, beyond that, what is, you know, as we start to wrap up here, what is sort of one of the most surprising things that you've experienced as a founder so far working on HookDuck? Um, yeah, there's two things that come to mind. The first one is going to sound cliche, I know, but... Um, I'm just always surprised by how people are using the product because uh, ultimately like we've built this into something that's very flexible and people are getting creative and I find that both very rewarding but also very surprising at times. Um, so like the the latest one I've had just uh, last week talking with a customer um, uh, that particular customer was receiving webhooks from message services like Discord to run a spy network for EVE Online, the video game. Um, and it was using messages and different communities to track like player movement and coordinate their fleet and game and so on. And whenever I, I hear the stories, I'm like, what's going on here? <laughs> like, what, what, what's the sheer amount of use cases like people are going to use this for, right? Um, and uh, I'm always, always kind of astonished by that. The other thing too is I think I've grown in a world of kind of like the internet that that felt very pessimistic to me. Um, so 
you know, my time on Hackers News and Twitter is often like fairly negative, not in the sense that like I find it very constructive, but um, but there's not all that much support or at least it doesn't give that impression. And one thing that really surprised me working on the deck is like people really kind of root for you. And when you're just out there browsing those social networks and all, like it doesn't necessarily feel that way or it feels like you're going kind of like at, at war, or like everyone's out kind of out to get you or like it makes you think that, um, or at least it did for me. <laughs> and now when I see of like, there's at least like a dozen people that really went out of their way to help us. And there's just tremendous support from users and people talking about us on like Twitter and, and different platforms. And all of that is just great. Cause like, starting starting a company and starting a a tech startup like i mean like we're definitely privileged but i think in many ways also has its up and downs and having that support versus feeling like people are always out to get you is really it's really been uh tremendous for me and for the team um so that's something that kind of took me by surprise i expected to to be a lot more confronted by on that front that, yeah that's great i mean i think uh you got to um there's always a balance, right? Like you want, you want feedback, but, uh, you, you can over index sometimes on the, on the negative feedback, especially when it's coming from anonymous sources on the internet. Uh, is there anything else you'd like, uh, you know, the audience to know before we, um, wrap up? Yeah. So, um, when we raised our fee seed financing almost a year ago, we kind of, uh, made ourselves a promise that we would always, uh, have the, the, the product and the platform, like be very accessible for people. And specifically what that means is that exec is free to use both in production and development. We're very generous about the quotas that we allow you to use for free. And really like, ultimately I think everybody should, um, have access to this and be allowed to be successful regardless whether or not they're willing to pay. And then if you get tremendously successful, then we'll talk. <laughs> so um, ultimately, like, uh, if you want to give it a spin, you can find about uh, you can find more about us on ugdeck.com or on GitHub at ugdeck. Um, like I said, our CLI is open source. You don't even need to create an account or anything of that sorts to get using with it. So uh, please give it a spin and reach out to me on Twitter or by email. So my Twitter is at Alex Bouchard with double D's, Alex Bouchard D, and my email, alex at ugdeg.com. Please reach out to me, share your experience, share with me how you're using it. Like we're very eager to make this better and uh, hopefully I'll hear from some of you. Awesome. Yeah, Alex, thanks so much for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. Like I said at the top of the interview, you know, I love diving into these topics that you know, they feel so simple, but in reality are much more complicated. So thanks for you know, sharing all your experience working, you know, both as an engineer and product designer with, in, in, with webhooks and navigating that space and then the work that you've done at HookDeck. Uh, so, but cheers and, and best of luck with building this company. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Take care.